0: Thank you very much, Katie, and good evening again, everyone. Thanks so much for coming. And um, just a a word of explanation about why we uh, are in 2 Corinthians 1. Um, If you weren't here this morning, we were launching the series here at uh, the Crescent on the book of Job, this amazing uh, story of the man who suffered so much. And we looked at chapters 1 and 2 in Job with all of the questions and struggles that that man encountered. And so as I thought about this evening, I thought, well, it would be good to sustain that theme, but to look at it in relation to what Paul has to say in 2 Corinthians and uh, the particular benefits, we might say, or the the valuable trials which he describes in that passage. So you might like to have it open as we go through, but also I hope the PowerPoint will come up on screen and uh, we'll also uh, have some verses as we go along. We're almost there. Thank you. Well, uh, I wonder if you know the story of a remarkable woman missionary called Evelyn Harris Brand. Uh, she was the mother of a well-known uh, surgeon called Paul Brand. And she went uh, to be a missionary in India. She came from a fairly wealthy family in England. But quite soon, uh, she and her husband went to Tamil Nadu. And they, there they served for a number of years. But after just 10 years of service, Um, Her husband died, rather tragically, aged 44, I think. And so she came back home to the UK as a broken woman. But then, just a year later, uh, she decided she would go back and pour her life and soul into serving the hill uh, country people whom she had previously been with. Uh, I now quote what she did, nursing the sick teaching farmers, caring for orphans, clearing jungle land, pulling teeth, establishing schools, and preaching the gospel. And she lived very humbly. She lived in a hut which was just eight feet square. And at at the age of 67, she fell and she broke her hip. And her son, the surgeon Paul Brandt, went out and said, it's really time to retire, mother. It's time to go back home. Uh, She'd already, I think, uh, fractured several vertebrae, recurrent periods of uh, malaria, as well as other challenges. But she refused. She was determined to go on. And she said uh, to her son, why preserve this old body if it's not going to be used where God needs me? And so she stayed for another 28 years until finally she died at the age of 95, just buried in a simple cotton sheet By the villagers with whom she was working. And this is what a fellow worker said, Granny Brand was more alive than any person I've ever met. By giving away her life, she found it. And she, Granny Brand, is a lovely example of the Christian life which in many senses comes straight out of 2 Corinthians. It's very different, this way of looking at Christian life and Christian service from some of the spiritualities which we encounter, uh, not just in Christianity, but all kinds of spiritualities, uh, which are very often human-centered. They're all about self-realization, self-fulfillment. It's the kind of what's-in-it-for-me spirituality. In fact, some Christians have been known to teach that when someone is facing hardship or trial, they must be outside of God's will, outside of God's blessing. I hinted at that a little bit this morning in Job 1. Surely someone with real faith overcomes the obstacles and the hurdles. Surely it means riding high on a more success-orientated spirituality. Well, of course, we know that that misses so much of what the New Testament teaches, and especially this letter of 2 Corinthians, because for Paul right at the heart of the Christian message and therefore right at the heart of Christian service lay a very significant paradox and you'll be familiar with it. It's summed up in the Lord's words to him in 2 Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And if you know this letter, uh, Paul, through all of the demands of his Christian service, had really reached the limits of his endurance. He explains this catalogue of sufferings that he faced in chapter 11, not dissimilar to some of the challenges Job faced, although Job, I think, had a harder time. And his missionary work as an apostle was quite literally killing him. He'd come to understand, though, that it was precisely at this point with this kind of pressure with these trials and tests that god's power could be most clearly seen and that when i was a child i always remember someone talking about 2 corinthians and saying that uh, a christian is like a tea bag their real strength is drawn only when they get into hot water and that is really the, the theology of this letter to corinthians well, Paul is very clear in this chapter what he was facing. So we read, uh, Katie read to us uh, the, the emphasis in verse 8. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. And probably at times, that was what Paul looked like. He looked like a dying man when you, list, when you look at the list the catalogue of sufferings that he faced, he was a dying man. And this opening chapter is key to understanding so much of what he describes throughout the letter. And in particular, this section of chapter one gives us four reasons why these pressures, these trials are valuable. Here's the first one. We share Christ's life. He's already mentioned this, verse 5, for just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so our comfort abounds through Christ. And I'm sure you notice noticed it as Katie read it, the, the frequency of the words trouble, that occurs three times, suffering occurs four times. There is, there's another word we'll come to in a minute, repeated many times. And we've seen, in fact, that uh, throughout the letter, this is one of its dominant themes, Trouble describes all kinds of pressures which Paul and the believers in that day had to face. And indeed they face similar pressures, God's people, all around the world today. And one form of ancient torture in the first century was lying a, a man on the ground and then taking a huge boulder and resting it on his chest squeezing the life out of him. And so that's how Paul felt. We were under great pressure, he says. We almost thought we were finished. We almost thought we would die. But you'll notice he deliberately connects this pressure, this suffering, with the suffering of Jesus. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, he writes. So suffering is the inevitable result of being united to Jesus Christ. I mean that's the basic definition of a Christian, somebody who's united to Jesus Christ. A church is a community with Christ at the center. So if we're united with Jesus Christ, Paul underlines, then inevitably suffering will be part of our experience. It's a natural and normal part of life. And so Paul began to understand all of the ups and downs of his Christian life because it was related to Jesus, the one who died and who rose again. Um, He he would often make this connection. How do you understand God's power? How did God demonstrate his power? Well, he says in both of his letters to the Corinthians, we understand God's power through the weakness of the crucified Jesus and therefore it's no surprise that God is going to say and to demonstrate his power today through the weakness of Paul and through the weakness of God's people, you and me. In fact, he says this in chapter 4, I'll just uh, reference it a little more. He describes this sharing of Christ's life and sufferings in several ways. We carry around in our body the death of Jesus, he says in chapter 4, verse 10. And in the next verse, he says, we are given over to death for Jesus' sake. So again, if we're united to Jesus, there is no avoiding this kind of weakness. And we should be very suspicious of any type of Christianity or any spirituality which tries to avoid weakness. Here in chapter 1, Paul is making the point, far from discounting him as an apostle or as a, a Christian leader, some of the people in Corinth thought he didn't quite make the standards, Far from disqualifying him, all of these pressures, all of the sufferings he faced, were evidence of his commitment and service for the Lord Jesus. They were his badge of discipleship. And therefore he underlines this point, the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, he says. Now that doesn't mean, of course, that as we suffer we are somehow completing Jesus' work of salvation. No, he's not saying that at all. We're not contributing to the saving work of Christ. What he means is this intimate relationship which we have with the Lord Jesus, anyone who bears his name, and therefore our life is his life. We're united with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. And We've had a good friend over a number of years, and I think most of you will know her. Um, here, here she is, Helen Rosevear. She lived in this part of the world for some years. And uh, you probably know that she served as a medical missionary in Congo. And during the revolutions in the 1960s, she's written a good deal about the kind of trial and pressure that she faced. In fact, she faced beatings and torture and rape, and at one point was very close to being executed. And at, a, at those points, she mentions in uh, a couple of her books how it was almost as if God's Holy Spirit was speaking to her, reminding her of her calling. And it was as if the Spirit said, I now quote her, 20 years ago, you asked me for the privilege of being a missionary, the privilege of being identified with me. This is it. This is what it means. These are not your sufferings. They are my sufferings. And by God's grace, she was spared execution. And so a little later she wrote, God didn't stop the suffering... He didn't stop the wickedness, the pain was just as bad, but it was altogether different. It was in Jesus, it was for Jesus, it was with Jesus. And so I think when you look at this letter, it's no wonder that Paul, in the end, boasted about his weaknesses. And the more he suffered, he would say, the more it was evidence of the privilege of being identified with Jesus Christ. And this same argument of solidarity with the Lord Jesus appears in the second part of verse 5. He says, We're united with Christ in his sufferings. Um, And then he says, These sufferings produce a second valuable outcome. We experience God's comfort. The verse continues, So also our comfort abounds through Christ. In fact, it's worth noting this lovely. Uh, Opening greeting in in, uh, verses 1 onwards, I'll put it on the screen. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. So Paul's ability to praise God, or Helen Roosevelt's ability to do that, or even Job, when we remember what he said, and we, we sang that right at the beginning of this evening's service, Blessed be the name of the Lord the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The ability to praise God, to worship him in the midst of these kinds of pressures can only come ultimately uh, from this experience of God's comfort, God's presence. And this is the key word. Comfort appears 10 times in these five verses. Um, It's the same word, as you probably know, that uh, John uses when he describes the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the comforting work of the Spirit who draws alongside us, who strengthens us, who guides us and equips us. Especially when we're tested, we can experience this comforting presence of God's Holy Spirit. So whatever pressure or affliction that we might have, which some of which we mentioned this morning, maybe you can bring to mind the kind of challenge that you also face, this is more than matched by God's strengthening power, his comfort, as he calls it. I mean, it happened time and again for Paul when you read through his letters. Uh, I've already mentioned the experience in chapter 12. Do you remember he describes it as the thorn in the flesh? And we've looked at this verse already. The Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So these challenges, these weaknesses which he felt, had the special advantage of making room for God's power and for God's grace, It's the moment when God can work most effectively in our lives, when his power, as he calls it here, is most clearly seen. And I wonder if it's true for you and for me, um, day by day, uh, whether we can testify to this reality. We were talking this morning about some of the tunnels of of despair, the big challenges that people face as Christian believers. Is it still possible at this point to... uh, experience God's presence and comfort. We shouldn't miss the great emphasis that Paul gives here about the source of that comfort. Um, it, It appears in these opening verses, he talks about grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and then he goes on, our comfort comes from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And um, these aren't just religious phrases, they're, they're beautiful expressions of the way in which, as we come to know the Lord, we also, day by day, can experience this, the God of all comfort, the God of compassion. And we often come to know those realities best through our trials. So we share Christ's life, we experience God's comfort, and of course, we help God's people. Um, If we're united to the Lord Jesus Christ, then we are united to one another as fellow believers. Christians are bound to Christ and therefore bound to one another. So there is always a community dimension to our Christian experience, whether it's the suffering or the comfort. We know those things together. So that's why Paul says in verse 4, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So as we experience the Lord standing alongside us uh, during times of pressure or trial, so we become qualified to bring that encouragement and comfort to others in the Christian family. Uh, We might not experience the same pressures that that, we each face, but that doesn't limit this ministry that Paul is describing here. It's the very fact of having experienced God's comfort in your own life which qualifies you, equips you, to then take the step of encouraging and comforting others. Um, in Paul's case, actually, it was more than just encouragement. Again, I just quickly uh, uh, reference what he says uh, in, in, uh, uh, in, in 2 Corinthians 4. Um, if we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. Verse 12, so then death is at work in us but life is at work in you and he sums up all of his troubles and says all these are for your benefit. All of the challenges that I've faced, all of the things I've had to go through, the shipwrecks and the beatings and the sleepless nights, all of these things are for your benefit because I've brought the gospel to you. Um, so there are many ways in which in this letter we see the comfort which Paul brought to those believers But here, he's specially underlining that both suffering and comfort can be something that we share with one another. Just as uh, he describes in in verse 7. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. It's an absolute certainty, he describes there. Our hope for you is firm. Well... Again, let me just step back a moment and ask about the pressures and challenges in your own life, whatever they may be. At those moments, it's never easy to keep steady emotionally, is it? So it's really important, I think, when we go through these trials to remember the two things we've just uh, been looking at. And that is, um, we can experience God's comfort. We can know God's grace and power, even in the midst of difficulties. And secondly, we can also help others who are in similar situations with the comfort we ourselves have received. So God will use, he will redeem some of these challenges and pressures for his good purpose of strengthening us and strengthening fellow believers. Um, A few years ago, uh, Margaret, who's with me, my wife, uh, received a letter from a friend who'd been diagnosed with cancer and uh, Margaret has, uh, has had uh, breast cancer, and this woman had the same experience. In fact, what happened in our life during that time um, was one of those occasions, I don't know if you use this, uh, this uh, phrase in Belfast, but in London, you say you can wait for a long time for a bus, and then suddenly, three or four all come at the same time. And it felt like that with regard to what happened in our family, uh, apart from Margaret's illness, uh, her, her father, Uh, was suffering from a a debilitating muscle-wasting disease, and so we had to care for him in our home. Um, His wife, uh, Mary, had had a fairly deep-set mental depression, which lasted actually to the end of her life. She also lived with us. Our daughter at that time uh, was 20 and was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, and Margaret with cancer. The funny thing is, uh, I don't say all of that as if we were um, remarkable Christians. We certainly aren't, but what we discovered going through some of those challenges, was we certainly came to know uh, God's grace and God's power in in new ways. I think that's my abiding memory. Um, We certainly were very thankful to be closer to each other as a family and closer to some dear Christian friends in Oxford where we live, but most of all, I think, closer to this experience of God's grace. And therefore, when you've had that uh, experience, you're able to share the good news of God's comfort, I hope, when Margaret replied to this lady, and I hope in some way the comfort we had experienced was of some comfort to her. Well, we all know how this works. It's so lovely to see it expressed with simplicity by Paul in the opening of this very challenging letter. This is one of the values of the pressures and the trials that we face. Um, the the theme is also picked up uh, later in, in this chapter with one other phrase uh, at the end of the verse which Katie read. Um, he also underlines this, this uh, commonality, this collegiality, this sense of fellowship, the importance of helping one another, where he says uh, that he, he uh, is dependent on God's people with all of the, th- the challenges he faced, verse 11, as you help us by your prayers. So Paul, again, is underlining the importance of Christian community. As we were thinking this morning with the many challenges which people, believers, face, it's so important that uh, we uh, work together in comforting and in praying for one another. When Margaret was unwell and then having um, some uh, post-surgery discussion with one lady, uh, they asked about her support network. And uh, I said, oh, we're a member of a good church. And I don't know whether the nurse was a Christian or not, Margaret, but she said, we always find that. People who are members of churches have this support network in place. And Paul is really underlining that simple point, and especially with our prayers. We can do a great deal, even if we're limited in our uh, our, uh, abilities to travel or to meet people, um, just praying as you help with your prayer is so significant. Well, this is why trials are valuable. My weakness, in fact, is strength. We share Christ's life. We experience God's comfort. We help God's people. And finally, we trust God's purposes. Um, Did you notice what he says in the middle of this passage, verse 9? This happened, the, all of the pressures which he's been describing. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. I think part of the reason why we have difficulty with this idea of valuable trials—you may think it's a rather unusual title to use—is is because of our perhaps our slightly distorted view of what God is like. You know, for many people, God is a warm, uh, loving. Father Christmas, you know, he would never bring any harm to us. And in some, in fact, sometimes people say, well, you know, if God loved me, he would never have allowed this to happen. Well, in verse 8 Paul describes the hardships which he had faced in his work in the province of Asia, and for two years he struggled to proclaim the Lord Jesus, as he mentions it here, and he faced a huge amount of opposition. And as we've seen, he tells us about those unbearable pressures. He tells us about the way in which God met him and comforted him. And he's very honest in describing that experience. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so we despaired even of life, he says there in verse 8 and 9. Well, he was completely overwhelmed by this kind of pressure. He thought this was the end. And he saw the waves crashing in, he could feel. The storm, he felt close to sinking. Now, why was this happening to Paul? Why was it happening to a man of God? Why was it happening to an apostle who, after all, was out there to spread the good news of the gospel? Why was God allowing him to go through this experience? And the answer is there on on the screen on verse 9. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And we find that all the way through this letter, that God takes us through these challenges and these afflictions in order to bring us to recognize our own helplessness, the importance of turning away from our own independence and turning to God, that we might rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. I think many of us identify with what he's describing here, that the the moments of life where these challenges or trials are sometimes the very desperate moments, those are the moments when we learn to hold on to God, as we said this morning. Uh, for Paul, he describes his thorn in the flesh, which we've mentioned already, and there is something embedded in our lives, maybe you experience it too, where we walk with a limp. I mean, I do literally, but what I mean is something happens for you and in your life, and, and it hinders you you feel. Um, But Paul, in that passage in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. It's partly why I thought of this passage, because here is the messenger of Satan, rather like the story of Job, as we saw this morning. And he came to realize that this thorn in the flesh, uh, acres of books have been written about what that might have been. We don't know he came to realize that he would learn things through this pressure that he would never otherwise learn. It would create a dependence on God, as he says here in chapter 1. It would move him away from the proud uh, experiences which he describes in chapter 12. And it would create an experience uh, that he would never otherwise have, this thorn in the flesh, So I wonder how you feel about the question of uh, God's purposes in suffering, teaching us not to rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. I remember reading some while ago about William Wilberforce, do you remember him, the Christian politician well known for working hard against the slave trade? And apparently uh, he had a stone which he put in his shoe every morning. So as he walked around day by day, it was so uncomfortable, it reminded him to pray. It was a kind of expression of dependence. A very simple thing, but it exposed uh, in his life the the big danger of being self-sufficient and realizing that uh, as we trust in the Lord Jesus, our complete inadequacy pushes us to see his complete reliability. That is what Paul is saying here in verse 9. He underlines, this is the God we can trust, it is the God who raises the dead, as he says in his final little phrase in verse 9. God can raise up Christians like Paul, like you, like me, who might even be despairing of life itself, because God has delivered us from such a peril, he says, I can trust him for deliverance now and in the future. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. One of the great truths here is that we can be absolutely certain that God holds on to us. Uh, We concluded this morning by reminding ourselves of, of God's sovereignty, everything under control. And Paul is saying exactly the same thing. I'm not looking to plan my own life. I am completely dependent on the Lord. I'm not looking to uh, ride these challenges in my own strength, rather in my weakness, I can rely on the God who raises the dead. It's trusting God's purposes. Um, Perhaps I can use one final illustration, uh, which is one of my favorites for describing this experience. And um, it comes from sailing. And uh, I'm not much of a sailor, but a few years ago, uh, Margaret and I were on a boat to circumnavigate the island of Mull, just off the Scottish west coast. And it was a lovely summer until we arrived in Scotland. And uh, the weather changed and the wind pitched up and uh, we were on this sailing boat. In fact, it was so heavy, the force of the wind, um, that the sailing boat was pushed right over like that. And I usually say, that's one advantage of having one leg shorter than the other, as I do, is that everyone else was falling over and I was standing upright. <laughs> and um, it, was, it was very interesting that we learned how to make progress even in the middle of a storm. And uh, some of you will be way more experienced than, than me, so I must be careful how I describe it. But um, you go along in this direction and then you tack and you turn and you come back in this direction. So you're making this zigzag pattern And you're using winds which are against you. That's why it's very uncomfortable. And it's quite slow. You're just going, tacking like this and this. It's called beating against the wind. And uh, it was surprising to me to see that despite the winds against us, we were able to make progress towards our destination. And I think this is the great truth that Paul is expressing here, that uh, sometimes we, Uh, fail to see that winds which are against us can be used by God to help us make progress forward. And that really is what he's been describing here. Um, When you think of trials and difficulties, you might think it would have the reverse effect. But Paul says, no, these are valuable trials. These difficulties are not to set you off, uh, off the path. They're the very things that will help you to make progress forward to our heavenly destination beating against the way the wind. Well these are the ways in which I think we need to understand the pressures and the trials that we might experience in our own lives. They are extremely valuable for these reasons as Paul has outlined them. We share Christ's life, we experience his suffering but also his resurrection life, we experience God's comfort as he draws alongside us by the Holy Spirit, we help God's people as we share both our suffering and our comfort and our prayers in the Christian family, and we trust God's purposes, moving us away from independence, moving us away from despair, so that we learn truly to depend on God. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we want to thank you that the way in which you save people like us is through the weakness of the Lord Jesus who laid down his life on the cross. Thank you that that's the way you've demonstrated your power. That's the way in which you are redeeming men and women. And we thank you that still today your power is best seen in weak people. And so as we face these tests, these trials of all kinds, We ask you'll help us to keep our eyes on what really matters. Our life in Jesus. Our experience of your comfort and your grace. The special opportunity to help others. And a greater experience of dependence on you, our loving Father. We pray, Father, for your grace and mercy, especially on those who are here this evening or listening online who are going through some of these trials and tribulations. Peace be close to them, and remind them of these great truths of their united life with Jesus, the comfort which can be theirs by the Spirit, and the fulfilment of your good purposes, even through these difficulties. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.